Welcome to California Women Lawyers Seat at the Table podcast. I am your host, Summer C. Selleck, joined today by my co-host, Ariel Brownell-Lee, and our guest, Netta Monsorian of Oleander Law Partners. Ariel, would you like to get the listeners acquainted with our speaker today? Of course, Summer. Thank you so much. Netta Monsorian is a co-founder and the managing partner at Oleander Law Partners, LLP. Located in Los Gatos, California, she provides crisis management services for her individual and corporate clients in Santa Clara County, Silicon Valley, and other parts of the San Francisco Bay Area. Netta is admitted to practice before all California state courts, and she is also admitted to practice before the U.S. District Courts for the Northern and Eastern Districts of California. Ms. Monsorian uses her extensive background and experience in litigation, business, mediation, and negotiations to provide advice and counsel to clients who are risking the loss of their reputation and standing when they are facing a crisis in their purses. Ms. Monsorian uses her extensive background and experience in litigation, business, mediation, and negotiations to provide advice and counsel to clients who are risking the loss of their reputation and standing when they are facing a crisis in their personal or business lives. The types of matters that she has handled in this regard have involved business disputes, embezzlement, wrongful termination, extortion, high-profile divorces, and workplace harassment. She has counted among her clients chief executive officers, public companies, and public officials. The manner in which she has handled what are often sensitive issues has earned her the respect of all her colleagues as evidenced by her receipt of AV preeminent peer review rating through the Martindale Hubble every year since 2014. Ms. Monsorian has also been named to the Silicon Valley Business Journal's annual 40 under 40 list. Prior to founding Oleander Law Partners in October 2016, Ms. Monsorian was a partner and the chief legal officer at a well-known San Jose law firm. While she was there, she represented many high-profile clients and helped to resolve their disputes both in the courtroom and at the negotiation table. A fellow in both the American Bar Foundation and the Litigation Council of America, Ms. Monsorian holds a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from the University of California, Berkeley, and a Juris Doctor from Santa Clara University School of Law. Welcome, Netta. We are so excited to have you. Um, so thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. I know it's, it's not a pleasure. short drive on this, this lovely afternoon. It's my pleasure. Well, it's our pleasure to have you, let me tell it you. It is. I have heard so many wonderful things about you. I'm very excited to get to know you and do this interview. I just, you seem like a fascinating person. I want to learn all about you. Well, thank you. You're you're both keeping the bar very high. I hope I don't disappoint. Oh, the bar is no. You you will not disappoint. I was actually lying in bed last night thinking, like, how will I narrow down the story or the the lead in Hmm. to why you're the coolest? And I was like, there's too many stories. But one thing I do remember is the first time meeting you. uh, We were in Sacramento, and I was asked to come to the CW board meeting. as a guest and I remember seeing you sitting at the the table as the president and I just remember thinking this woman leads you know like Mm, this is a leader Um, and that was true of your presidency and and when you were the president of the foundation Mm. you just have a natural skill to I was telling Ariel calm me I just when you speak I want to be like I want to roll into like a little ball and fall asleep because it's just so calming um, well, that could be taken either way, you know. No, it's perfect. <laughs> I do, I do have that effect on people. They either sleep or they're inspired. But, um, but well, yes, when I sleep, I'm inspired. <laughs> so um, no, but that is that is something that I think um, is just very much you. Is that you have a very natural way of making people feel very calm and very at ease, very quickly, which is um, something that I think is a huge deal for people in our line of work. And I don't see that everywhere. So I, you know, one of my favorite things about you is that 
Thank you. I appreciate that. that that's a great compliment. Yeah, you, I, I just adore you. So, Aww. but everybody, everybody already knows that. So, mm -hmm. um, what we usually like to do is just jump in and see. You know, why did you become a lawyer? Like, you know, how did was there a moment where you said, "I think I want to be a lawyer." I think I wish I had something really glamorous or sexy to say about that other than the fact that it was a little bit of process of elimination for me which is sort of how I approach some things in my life even now um, where I grew up in an immigrant family where education was king and being independent was king particularly as uh, young women that, that was always uh, something that was important to my parents and you either were going to go into the sciences or into business or law and so I'm terrible at science. I don't have a head for science. Uh, and so it really came down to business or law. And I enjoy solving problems. And it was a natural gravitation toward the law and to law school, understanding that that's really where my interests were basically concentrated. And so it, it just, I knew that I wanted to do something. I wanted to get a higher education. and. Uh, it seemed like the right fit for my personality, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so, so did you know going into college that that was your trajectory, or I mean, when when did you say, okay, law school, that's the end game? That's a good question. Um, when I uh, entered Berkeley, I was actually uh, set to start in the Haas School of Business, and very quickly decided that. Uh, I wasn't quite sure. I always had law in the back of my mind. And so uh, fairly early on, I decided, you know what, I'm going to bail on this business thing. I could probably figure it out later if I want to do that. And I switched to a political science major, which ah. you know what that means. Yeah. It means somebody's going to go to law school. Kind of so, locked in there. Yeah. That's right. And Even then the I, history majors, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then I was also thinking, you know, I'm at, I'm at Berkeley. What, what better place to learn all about the world's politics and the science behind it? I said I didn't like science, but that kind of science I liked. Yeah, and, the only um, good science. The only good science. That's exactly right. And so I uh, switched to the, um, to the uh, College of Letters and Science and was in political science, and uh, off I went. And that then Santa Clara for your... Santa Clara with a slight detour. Oh, I did not know you detoured. I, I'm here with I'm here with a uh, new fun fact for you. My favorite people detour. So I did detour. I detoured in a super weird way, um, and to understand why I detoured, you have to know a little bit about my um, background. So immigrant family, like I mentioned, my family was always self-employed. So. Um, we always had a business of some kind, and from the time I was 12, I worked for my family every day after school. And so uh, between Cal and Santa Clara in 1994, I approached my dad and I said, I think we should open a restaurant. I'd already gotten accepted into Santa Clara University, and he said, what? And I said, well, you know, I had an uncle who was wildly successful with a string of restaurants in New York City. I said, he's doing it, I think we can do it. I was 21 at the time, no restaurant experience, and my dad was between owning businesses, and he said, well, that's the biggest thing we, would have ever, we, could, have, we could ever do. We don't have any experience, and you're about to go to law school. So I suggested to him, let me see if I can get a deferral, a deferment from Santa Clara. If they give it to me, we're doing this. 
And again, we had a long history of working together and being business-minded and very entrepreneurial and uh, with a string of smaller businesses, nothing too big. And um, I wrote a heartfelt letter to Santa Clara, which I'm not sure if they would do now, but uh, they did back then. And, uh, and they accepted the request and they said, you got two years. And if you don't come in two years, you're gonna have to reapply and everything. So I went off and my dad and I started an Italian restaurant in Moscatus together. Wow. And uh, 25 years later, wildly successful. I worked there as the general manager. I learned everything there is to know about the restaurant business. I was a dishwasher, I was a waiter, I did everything. And ultimately I managed the restaurant with him. And um, they said, okay, two years is up. You get to come to law school after that. And, um, and I did that, and the first thing I learned was that you're not supposed to have a job in law school. <laughs> not part-time, not full-time, not yeah. nothing. Yeah. And then I um, stubbornly proceeded to work full-time at the restaurant through my all three years of law school. Wow. Running the restaurant at night, working, uh, going to school during the day, and uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure how that all worked out. But uh, looking back on it now, there are a couple of things that strike me. One is that my dad must have been crazy to, you know, invest <laughs> this time and, and faith in a 21-year-old kid, um, and also why I decided to stay on and work as much as I did. I really loved the restaurant. So there it is. That's my story. That's my detour. Oh well, I. That's really interesting. Yeah. I. I. I mean, I would. There's no person in the world that I would think is more suited for doing all of those Thank things. Thank you. Here, That's so. nice. I mean, I, I can only imagine you at 21. I would probably follow you into the, the restaurant business if you asked me. It was, so. pretty, cra it was pretty crazy. Yeah. It was fun, though. Is really the fun. restaurant still open? So this is a really interesting thing. After 25 years, we're still in mourning about it. I, I, my parents and I decided that they were going to sell the restaurant and retire. Okay. So my dad is almost 80, my mom is 75, up until about three months ago, this is when we sold the restaurant, it was just three months ago. Oh, yeah. um, they were working every day, about eight hours a day, eight oh, to 10 hours wow. a day. And so it's time, it was time for them. And so uh, they've passed on the torch yeah. and uh, now they're gonna hopefully enjoy their lives. They've worked so hard their whole life yeah. and uh, dedicated to their family and to their community. and. Uh, so it's been, you know, it's it's fairly fresh. It's really just, and I told them, I said, be like Seinfeld, go out on top, because they were right. still very right. busy, yeah. very beloved in the community, and uh, having a ball, but uh, you gotta go out on top, so, before health crises and all those other things set in, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Give them some time to relax and enjoy their, their golden years together, That's right. right? That's exactly right, so. That's amazing, though. That's an incredible story. Yeah, so you were clearly you. very busy in law school, working full-time and going to yes. school. Did the, the social aspect of being in law school suffer then because of that? No, I mean, if, if you, you know me, you kind of know I figure out a way to always keep things social, right? Okay. I'm, I'm all about people and, and not taking myself too seriously and trying to find the fun where I can find it, right? And um, so what I did was I just, I would, do things like invite my classmates to dinner at the restaurant on certain nights, and that's where we would hang out and talk. And they, would, and they were, trust me, all too happy to come by and get <laughs> really good Italian food for free yeah. and just hang out. So I would consolidate a lot. I learned early on to consolidate and have the, the lives overlap yeah. um, somewhat. Um, in my last year of uh, law school, 
again, I, I'm either very ambitious or inspired or have a lot of energy or I'm a total lunatic, but I did also run for vice president of the Student Bar Association and won that um, um, uh, election. And so I was, um, I was also that. And do you all wanna know what the vice president of the Student Bar Association is primarily responsible for of at course. Santa Clara University? Everything? Parties. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing you had a lot of parties at a certain uh, Italian we had, restaurant. We had parties. Actually, we didn't because really? that was the one place I, I, I couldn't always quite relax at the restaurant because mm. I was in work mode. So when I did do those things, so I was in charge of the quote-unquote law prom and oh, the Thursday night bar nights and the Halloween party and those things. And I was given a budget and, uh, you know, uh, no host bar or whatever, you know, I mean, it just trying to make it fun. So that was really what I was in charge of. And that's what I did that's through a party. You, so you made socializing a new job. <laughs> that's uh, perfect. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's exactly right. I, I guess You're a woman that, after my own heart. I think yeah. we would get along quite I, well. I, I think so, I think so. I like to have fun, that's, yeah. that's for sure. That is for sure. So that's, that's my story on that. And then straight out of law school, where, where did you go? So I landed in a law firm um, it, it's a trial firm in McMahon, it's called McManus Faulkner in San Jose. It's a now 45 year uh, boutique trial firm, covers, uh, it's a multi-practice law firm, 26 lawyers, five paralegals, um, and we did everything. And so I landed there, unsure about whether I wanted to be a litigator actually. I'd always kind of imagined myself to be a transactional lawyer and uh, uh, I, I got to know actually the owner of that firm, Jim McManus, who started the founder of that firm because he was a customer at the restaurant. Mm. And while I was in law school, he took a great uh, interest in me and he and his wife would come in all the time as customers because they lived in Las Gatas and he persuaded me to try litigation. And so I did and uh, I got the bug and by my second year as an associate, I was trying cases, wow. to tri jury trials. So, um, how was the makeup of diversity and, and litigation at that time? A lot of women? Not great. Yeah. Not great. I mean, this is 20 years ago, almost two decades ago, and we'd, we'd made some progress. But it struck me, um, and this is really my hats off to McManus Faulkner because they were very progressive and, and they sent women out there and they gave us a lot of uh, responsibility and a lot of rope, you know, it was yours for the taking and yours to, to uh, fail. Um, what struck me when I first started uh, litigating was I would get sent out, when I, was, when I was brand new, I would get sent out on these case management conferences. So I'd show up to the, case, to the CMCs and I was very um, encouraged because I saw, wow, this is pretty cool. This kind of looks like my law school class, 50% women, right? Mm -hmm. So this, not bad, maybe even more than 50%. I was like, okay, this is, my people are here. There's some, di there's also diversity. There's some diverse uh, um, lawyers and people of color and all that. So case management. So a few months later, I get an opportunity to go to a, the discovery motion calendar. And I get there and I look around. 
we're, you know, the three of us, I get the sense we're all very similar in the sense that we're observers, right? We're students of any, anything that we're around, right? So I'm, I did the same thing. I looked around. Okay, there are less women here. All right, I'm sure it's just a weird thing. Advance on and I get more responsibility and now I'm going to the law and motion complex case calendar. Um, various motions, uh, demurs and what have you. And uh, notice less women. Yeah. Uh, then I advance to the uh, dispositive motion calendar on complex cases, so the summary judgment calendar and, uh, and, and the, the longer uh, hearings. And there are way, way, way less women. I mean, I'm, I, would, I would say maybe 5%, yeah. 5 to 10%. And then it went on from there. And trial, no women. Uh, very, very few. And so I saw that continuum fairly short, fairly in a short span because I, the firm let me advance so quickly. I mean, I'm talking the span of maybe like a year and a half, wow. maybe two at most. Um, and uh, it, it was very sobering for me because it was like, you're not in Kansas anymore, <laughs> Dorothy. The opportunities essentially dwindle before your eyes as you advance and there's higher stakes issues and there's more money at play and uh, the clients are there and it, so definitely saw a huge difference back then. So when you saw that, when did you start getting involved in organizations that were working to help change that, you know, like CWL and what other organizations did you work with? I immedi almost immediately got involved um, because I was already, attuned to some of these gender issues because of the restaurant business. I, I can tell you that when I first started the business, I would have vendors coming in, distributors coming in, and they would always say, can I talk to the, the, the owner? And I'd say, well, I'm the owner. Well, okay, but who, who's the real owner? You know, you get a lot of sexism in the restaurant business too. So I was already a little sensitized to that. So by the time I got to, um, my first year of practice, I, I noticed stuff more easily, I think. And so I immediately um, placed myself on the board of the Santa Clara County Bar Association's Women Lawyers Committee. Mm. That was, I think I actually joined them within six to eight months of starting to practice. And uh, worked my way up in that organization, tried to do as much as I could there and ultimately um, served as its president for a couple of years back in, I wanna say 2005, 2006. And then it went from there. Um, it was something that I believed in. And so uh, always stayed involved, did a lot of work on diversity committees and, and what have you, always around the issues of gender equity and advancement, so for women. And then it went from there and then I, um, got involved with CWL and just stayed involved and they they let me hang around for a while and um, what and, year and were you president is. of CWL that was 2014 2013 okay. 2014 yeah right before I got involved yes yes it was fun I think she I think you were immediate past president the year before the year I started so I, I think just so. kind of ships passing in the night and get yeah, to, to serve with other. you yeah we were missed you, each other you were there for Wendy I was there for Wendy. Wendy was the president? 
No, I was there the following year after so Wendy was president. Yeah, Wendy was right mm-hmm, after. Mm-hmm. Wendy was also a wonderful president. She was. They were a dynamic duo together. Oh, I can only imagine. It was. Yeah. It was like watching, just, just fireworks, just getting stuff done. It was yeah. just watching. It was just like watching a thing of beauty happen together. It was just. Like, I love Wendy. Oh. she's really special. Judge Judge Bien is Judge Bien. Now I just love saying it. <laughs> so, Very exciting. A lot of judges that uh, came out of our uh, out of our tenure. Yeah. Yeah. Audra, Judge Ibarra. And just a lot of keep really going, yeah. amazing, even if they're not judges, it's just a lot of heavy hitters. Yes. I was just looking at something today and I saw Audra's name on it and I was like, oh, I guess she wrote a chapter on trial or something. Because <laughs> of course she did. Yes. Yeah, I was like, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. So she is. Do you have She's any indeed. judicial aspirations? Is that an area you're going towards? You know, I've, I've often been asked that. Um, I was asked that all throughout my tenure as president of CWL because that, that seems to be a natural progression for many past presidents um, and, and leaders of CWL. And there was at some point uh, quite a bit of encouragement by the local bench in Santa Clara County and by some of my mentors to put in my name. And I, I rebuffed a lot of that because at the end of the day, uh, you know, this is a theme that you'll see throughout my, my career and my life is, I have to do what I what speaks to me and what's uh, what what fits my personality, and I think that um, I'm probably a little too opinionated to be a judge. <laughs> I, so I, this might be not a non-compliment, but yeah, I see that in you. I'm sorry. I just couldn't re- re- you know restrain myself, I guess, to to get involved and try to solve things in right. a way that maybe. Uh, uh, otherwise bound by the the restrictions of the law I, I, I and so th- I think that would be tough for me but I always tell judges I say uh, you're a better person than me and thank goodness for you because we need good judges we need people like you but I'm kind of a private enterprise girl you right. know I mean that's kind of you know that, that's kind of that's my personality so uh, is that why there's a turn to, to mediation that you've opened your your practice with an oleander law group and yeah, because I mean that seems like if you don't want to be a judge, then the natural thing would be mediation. I mean, it's really the same tool set, sure. just with a lot more room to grow. I think. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got on the track of mediation? Sure. Um, you know, it, it seemed to be the natural next step in my career. When you have been practicing a certain amount of time, you start to think about what it is that you want to do with your career and how you can. Uh, have an influence on the judicial system, on the parties in, that go through the judicial system. And the two ways, really, ultimately, that I see are, uh, well, there are really three. There's becoming a judicial officer, there's becoming a mediator, or there's becoming, or being, or continuing to be a trial lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I had hung up my trial lawyer jersey about seven years ago when my practice sort of transitioned into doing a lot of crisis management. Um, advice and counseling and strategic work. And what that means, people ask me all the time, what is that? And I'll say, well, uh, I used to uh, represent companies or executives, for instance, in uh, various matters, and that morphed into, all right, how do we actually keep these parties and keep these people out of litigation and uh, resolve their issues? And so it sort of went from you know, again, my natural tendency to get people out of litigation uh, and into resolution. And so um, I started doing that, that kind of work, which was really gratifying. And then it occurred to me, you know, 
I'm already doing so much conflict resolution. I'm keeping people out of the court system. I'm keeping companies out of the court system. I'm keeping law firms out of the court system because some of my clients were law firms. And uh, why don't I try doing it for all sides? Because ultimately, that's really the apex of uh, conflict resolution is to get everybody into a global settlement. So it made sense for me. It's it's. It speaks to my personality. I'm a problem solver. I'm a peacemaker. I really try to think of the best way to get people out of these situations. So. You know, when um, Summer came to pick me up today, since I'm not driving to my mm-hmm. ankle, she, uh, I asked her to tell me a little bit about you. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things she told me was the fixer. Yeah. She is the, closer. the fixer, the, the closer. closer. You are <laughs> someone that can come in and yeah. fix problems. And that's such a great skill set to have. And I think a lot of times, mm-hmm former trial lawyers or current trial lawyers don't get in that mindset of actually moving things towards a resolution and we need more people like you. Mm-hmm. How do you go about finding these people that need your help? Like what is your process of getting your name out there and just word of mouth? Well, I, I think I was fortunate because I was in the litigation world for so long that um, I just knew a lot of people and they knew me mm-hmm. and it sort of just kind of happened. Um, it was pretty much word of mouth. And it sort of builds on itself, and you reach a critical mass after a certain point of time. And um, that's how it, frankly, happened for me, just being around all the time, you know, rattling around these different, (laughs) you know, um, uh, uh, events and programs and speaking. Good old Netta. Uh, Old, reliable Netta. She's a fixer. She's a fixer. And, uh, you know, in Silicon Valley, you can imagine, it's not unlike Hollywood in a sense. You know, we California, we've got two major areas of wonderful innovation and um, fascination from the rest of the world about us. And that's really the, the two very dysfunctional areas of <laughs> entertainment and high tech with, mm-hmm. that both involve a lot of money and a lot of interesting personalities. And so you can imagine that in Silicon Valley, there are... There is never a lack of issues and problems and uh, what have you. And so we had we had clients that were uh, public figures uh, who were being uh, victimized by cyber terrorists and cyber stalkers. And we had people who were being uh, blackmailed. Uh, just kind of crazy, crazy, crazy stuff because there's money involved mm-hmm. and there's uh, reputations and all these things. So there was a lot of that, but there was also just workplace stuff, employment stuff. There's all kinds of things that, that kind of came my way. Um, I enjoyed this work because I felt like I had more control over the process than um, litigation. Mm-hmm. Litigation is flawed. In a crapshoot. In a crapshoot. It brings out the dark side in people mm-hmm. and in organizations. And it is, like you said, Summer, totally risky. Um, and so I, I, I believe in our justice system. I believe in our constitution and due process. Um, but there's a better way. And it's, I'm a true believer in that. I'm totally a true believer in ADR because I've, I've benefited from it. My clients have benefited from it. And it seems like the next right step for me. We actually had um, Judge Douglas on our podcast last month, and mm-hmm. we talked extensively, I think, about how mediation um, and ADR services could work in both civil and criminal. Sure. Um, and how uh, 
if she believes as a judge that that might replace judges in some form or another, or mm. uh, if she believed that could be possible, do you see that as the new frontier? Is that something that you could see in any way? I mean, I'd love to see it lightening the load of the judicial system mm. uh, or the, the judges, um, but do you see that? I mean, is that why you're... Well, I think it would be a welcome change. Our, our courts are so overburdened. Um, and uh, I don't see it replacing judicial officers. I don't see it replacing our court system. But boy, could it really improve it. You know, I mean, it, it, we need to get back into some kind of balance or equilibrium with our court system, and particularly in the state. Uh, you know, when you show up and you have a hearing, I mean, talk about due process issues. And there's no court reporter yeah. because we can't afford it. I mean, we have now gone so down in circling the drain on being able to have a, a, a fair and proper um, system. And every judge I know laments it because every judge cares about justice that I, that I know, at least the ones I know. And I think that I, I don't know if it would replace it, maybe not for within maybe my lifetime, but I certainly see it uh, hopefully eclipsing some of the issues that we're facing today, and it, it's just so needed. It's 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 time. Yeah, I see a, a big push, at least in, in probate, for our, mm -hmm. our judge, Judge Sugiyama in Contra Costa County. He's just trying to get so many people to mediation. He's like, you don't need me. You need a mediator. Right. You need to talk about these issues. And so mm -hmm. I think that if there's, I think, humbly, I think that if there's a, a push from the bench to go mm -hmm. to mediation, um, then I think that that would probably clear up some pathways and that might be a good start. But absolutely, I, you know, obviously I think the judicial officers are also very important don't do away with them no no I mean I, I think the system has to be symbiotic I think we need the judicial officers because frankly some things just can't settle you have right. high conflict personalities and there isn't a thing that any brilliant mediator could do yeah. to um, to settle a case some things have to go to trial there are intractable issues that need a legal scholar to to call it a ball or a strike mm -hmm. um, there, there is an absolute need for us to have our judicial system in place. I don't see ADR taking, taking the place of that, but I can, I think it can certainly work in tandem, and make it so that there are the right resources for the cases that do probably need to still be tried for yeah. one reason or another. Um, but yeah, but I think that that's that's really, that's my vision for it and. The Northern District of California, it really has the right idea because they have created this uh, mediator program that has been modeled by other uh, jurisdictions. And just a little plug for it because I'm on their mediator panel. <laughs> and uh, but, but it's a really wonderful thing to participate in that because you have the stamp of approval from the federal court saying, we need help we need to clear the dockets and so we need to bring in lawyers that we trust who can hopefully resolve some of these cases ERISA cases police cases you know ADA cases I mean there's so many cases that really should not necessarily go to trial it should be resolved so they've taken that they've taken that step to bring lawyers into it and mediate these cases so if there was a lawyer listening what would you tell him or her to 
to start, you know, wetting their palate on in order to get into mediation. Mm. So I, I know that one of the things that you have talked about with me personally in the past mm -hmm. is that there are not a lot of women in, in mediation, and so yeah. you know, how do we how do we influx that? Well, I think that, um, and I don't and I don't begrudge this because I think that it was it it made me the lawyer that I am. But I think I was throughout my career at the beginning uh, a, a generalist, so I did everything, which made me. I think more insightful when it comes to being able to probably mediate almost I, almost any type of case. Um, but it, it, we are living in a land of specialized law now. And so what I would encourage lawyers to do is to think about how they can specialize in a particular area um, because that will make them very marketable as mediators, that will make them effective as mediators. So if construction is the deal, or if personal injury, or employment, or uh, probate, or family law, uh, stick to what you are passionate about, and you will be good at it, which means that you'll be a good mediator at it, probably. Um, and don't hop around so much that by the time that you become a mediator, because I will tell you, mediation the, the the profession is very saturated and it is in need of people who are fairly subject matter specialized and so i would i would probably have started out being a little bit more specialized what i have going for me i think is i'm a trial lawyer so yeah. i know the good the bad and the ugly about all kinds of things relating to litigation and relating to looking the into the whites of the eyes of the jurors yeah so i would say Specializing is one. I would say being more attuned if you're participating in mediations as an associate, as a lawyer, to be observing the mediator and noting what works and what doesn't, as opposed to kind of sort of going through the mediation in a fog. Um, that will help. And I think making the connections early on, um, asking to asking a mediator that you respect or admire, go to lunch with them, have them take you on as a mentor. Um, I don't recommend going into mediation too early in the career because I think it's gonna be difficult because you don't have the context and the experience. But in the back of your mind, what I would really like to see more women lawyers doing, this is very important, is to be thinking about it as a potential career path. So many of us, many of our colleagues from CWL, at some point in their career, they thought, I want to be a judge, or I could be a judge, or I want to go in-house, or I want to own my own firm. These are all things that are floating around in our minds as we're sort of ascending mm -hmm. as lawyers, right? Nobody's sitting around going, I'd like to be a mediator someday. Mm -hmm. You know that's not happening. I know that's not happening. It certainly didn't happen for me. Until you become a more seasoned lawyer and you kind of see the downside of litigation, you start thinking that way. What I would like to see is for there to be more dialogue and for for it to be a little, there, for there to be a more sunlight on the fact that that's a potential career path, just like becoming a judge is. And then you start thinking in those ways and then it normalizes this career path and becomes part of like, oh, you know, ADR, I believe in ADR, what kind of ADR could I do? Could I be a collaborative um, mediator? Could I be an arbitrator? Could I do this? And that doesn't happen yet. So I would like to see that change. I would like us to have more conversations about it. Um, 
and bring it more into mainstream. Yeah, I definitely think it's a great idea. <sighs> you can tell I'm getting animated about it because my hands are starting to move around <laughs> everywhere. I like, I, like it. I like the animation. It's clearly a topic near and dear to your heart. Yes. I think mediation is so important and not only bring it more into the mainstream with attorneys, I think the public needs to be more aware that mediation exists. As I, I do mediation my practice as a small percentage, and I can't tell you the number of people that just don't know what it is. They know I'm gonna go and fight and the judge is gonna tell me what to do. Like, we don't have to do that. I don't know how we educate the public about it because a lot of the public knows about the legal system from Law and & Order, and a mediation television show is probably not quite as sexy or fun, but. We're, we're gonna work on that. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I, I just always feel like I feel like our job is to mediate, even though it's not. That's what we're doing, ultimately. <laughs> I mean. You're doing it every day. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't call it that. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. Especially, I think, and you did some family law, right? Mm -hmm. um, oh. Do you still mediate family law cases? So um, there, there's a question about whether I'm going to do non-represented party mediations, family law mediations, or only represented parties. And mm. I, I'm leaning toward doing represented only for now. What um, is drawing you away from doing the pro-per mediations? The pro-per mediations, um, I think, could be really rewarding, actually, and are rewarding because... Uh, no offense to the three of us, but you're not dealing with the the obstacles and sandbagging that a potential lawyer can throw into place for various reasons. Oh, I and get so, it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, right. So uh, it's very appealing in many respects, um, but it tends to be for me. A, it, it's more of a logistical issue for me because it tends to be fairly ongoing. It's like a six-month sort right. of process where you're stipulating to various things, whereas with represented party mediations, it's one day or two days, and um, my business model, if you will, is set up to be a little bit more um, conducive to that right now, but I'm not ruling anything out. Uh, the, the larger percentage of my practice is um, civil work. Okay. So it's commercial, cases that are in commercial litigation, personal injury, and employment. So. Um, and everything in between. So I would say family law is a smaller percentage of, of that, and um, uh, but very gratifying and very fascinating, which is why I, I like to keep my hand in it a little bit. Yeah. It's yeah. about people. <laughs> you, do you really see the positive change that you're making when you do a family law mediation or a family law case? You can really help someone that day, and I think that... that that's exactly right. It also, it's not for the faint of heart, as you no, know, no, because it, you bear a lot of responsibility when there are custody issues at play, and um, you think about the long-term impact that a custody schedule has mm -hmm. on a child, um, and how, how that plays into formulating who they are as an adult, right? Who they become. Who they right. become. It's a lot to burden if you're not <laughs> you're going to think about it every night when you go to bed. That's why I don't do it. <laughs> yeah. But it's great for the parents that do go to mediation and they start sure. there because it shows that they have a good foundation for where they're going right. to be at their daughter's wedding 15 years from now if they were able to sit down at the table together, right? That's exactly and, right. And the same thing I would imagine for other types of civil litigation. You know, mm -hmm. people get so embroiled in it with the wanting to fight, but you can really help them change their outcome and their outlooks on things. So it's great. Well, I, I, I don't I don't take it lightly and I, I I'm 
very happy to tell litigants um, and share my war stories if necessary. You know, I've I, I've had massive success. I've had massive failures. I can talk about the fact that I tried a case for four months in a county in which I did not live. I lived in a residence in for four months and tried a case, a jury trial, um, that civil involved case. civil. And it was it was an ugly case. It was a long case and it involved interpreters and involved uh, interpreters from Japan. I mean, it was, it was just too long. And um, we thought we had that case in the bag. This, our trial team and we lost that case oh. and I had and working backwards from that I had just come off a two-month trial also out of county where I was the first chair of that trial uh, against multiple parties and um, won that trial unanimous verdict and it was one of the biggest highs of my career so you can see how you can go from being at the top to being slammed mm -hmm. and really at the end of the day it's not about you but it's about your clients and thinking about do you have blind spots mm -hmm. do you think your client is more credible than they actually are are your witnesses you know there's so much to it and um, I think that my goal would be to talk to litigants about um, my experiences and what I see and really thinking twice about um, proceeding in litigation based on principle because that's a shape-shifting concept right so um, again going back to this idea that litigation is flawed and trial is way risky do you think that four month long case you had could have been settled in mediation for the better outcome for everyone with a with a better mediator, yes. Ooh. <laughs> with you, there I with said you it. You doing it? I said it. Was it, it, was, it was jury <laughs> trial I'm gathering. Yes, it's juries. Oh yeah, juries are. You never know. You really, truly don't. And um, kind of terrifying. You put in so much work. You pour your heart and soul out with all these legal theories, and then you leave it in the hands of twelve people that have no legal training. No legal training and, and biases. Yeah. Exactly. That, I mean, I have, I'm going to tell this story because I've been dying to for the last like two minutes. Um, <laughs> but um, my first jury trial, I picked the jury and that was not very good at it because it was my first, right? No one's great at it. And this, the one juror, this, this older gentleman, he just mad dogged me the whole time. He just stared at me and I was like, I do not have that guy. That guy is not my guy. He's, I'm going to lose you know, the entire trial. And he just looked at me in a way where I was like, this guy hates me, you know? And the whole trial went on, the whole trial went on, and, and I was just like, I can't win. And the end, it was, a, it was a hung jury, right? And so, you know, I was like, I must have been that guy, you know? He was the one who, I didn't win. At the end, this guy comes up to me and he's like, I was with you the whole way. You were, he was like, I was never gonna, I was never gonna go guilty against you. Wow. You just had it. And I'm like, that, was the moment I realized I'll never know for right. a jury. Like you, you can think this one guy is just against you, and he's the only guy in there that's saying he's fighting for you. Yeah, he's he was my guy. That's you know? amazing. And so, juries, boy, you don't know. That's a great example. It was terrifying. I was like, oh man, I know nothing, you know. So it's 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 really. I mean, Summer, that is that is exactly it, and you hit it on the head. You just do not know, and. 
jurors also sometimes don't disclose their biases. Yeah. Right? They they or they may not know their biases. They may not know it. It's true. And so they just don't get it until it's ha- in the middle of it. It's yeah. just hard. I still I, I still really believe in our jury system in many respects and I think that for the most part jurors get it right. Um, because at the end of the day there are some cases that go to trial that really depend on uh, people's sense of right and wrong and um, reading the law in a way that, that is clear and, and, and applying it um, fairly. I still believe in our, ju- our justice system and our jury um, system, but the fact is that who wants to take that kind of risk in this day and age? I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. There's too much at stake. There's too much money. There's too much reputational stuff. Um, you don't know how the judges are going to rule on your evidentiary mm-hmm. motions, your motions in limine. And uh, that that could right there make or break your case regardless of what the jury does. If you have certain evidence that's excluded that you really needed, now you're basically trying a case with not a whole lot in your right. bag of tricks. Yeah. So any number of things could Witnesses happen. also sometimes they are... They what should be says? locked up tight, but sometimes they come out with things, and you're like, "Yeah, that's new." <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up now. Got a world witness here. <laughs> this is not the time nor the place. They forgot to take their meds this morning. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, and then, don't get me started on the fact that you you go to trial, you win your trial, and now you're in appeal land. Yeah, right. There's no finality. Yeah. So, um, and that's know. hard too, because you're like, "I won. I did. I did. I win." You won stage one. Yeah. <laughs> now there's and now there's, few more. it's a little anticlimactic. But, yeah, no, it, it's definitely, I, I, you could tell I'm a big proponent of it. But we've got a lot of work to do. And um, I would really like to see, I go back to my joke about uh, my kind of snarky comment about if we had a good mediator, that one case would have settled. But uh, I, I think that case needed a female mediator. Really? And I'm just going to say it. I'm putting it out there. That case needed a female mediator, a woman mediator. Um, it would have, I, I think the result would have been very different. So I would like to see more women in this area. Um, that was one of the reasons I've started getting involved in it, because I figure if I can get out there and, and spread the word and, and show that it, it can be a successful model, um, and not necessarily being a retired judge who's a female, because I know yeah. that there there is there are more of them than there are lawyer mediators. Yes, that would be good. I have this. There's this one this one mediator that is known that always starts the mediation with everything is is settleable and we're going to settle today. Do you believe that? No, not everything. I might start a mediation by saying, I think we can settle this case today. I think we can settle uh, most of this case today. I think that this case will settle. I would never say, I think everything can be settled. Um, because I don't have, I, I, I know enough to know I don't have control over that, right? Yeah. We don't have control. We could do the best we can. Should everything settle? Should everything resolve? Sure, because ultimately, one way or another, a case is going to go away, right? Yeah. But uh, but there are just some things that are not resolvable. It could be, like I said, a high conflict person, you know, borderline personalities. 
Sometimes uh, they just need someone to tell them sociopaths. this is the answer. Sociopaths, sometimes they just need that ruling from somebody in a black robe and they're not settled, they're not, they're not convinced until they get that. So, um, and they're not convinced after they get it. Sure. <laughs> Which is why, you know, they're married to the, to the, the conflict. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, you know, th it, it's, there, there's nothing that can be done about that. And I think a good mediator will be able to tell fairly quickly in the proceeding whether, what they have on their hands. Have you had experience um, when you're acting as a mediator in a case when you see it going just down a bad road that this is not mm -hmm. going to settle because one person or the other or both <laughs> are just too strong-willed or pig-headed to come to an agreement? I think that as long as there aren't fairly serious mental health or issues, uh, I can work at it. I'm a pretty tenacious person. And one of the things that used to drive me batty about when I was a litigator that I would go to certain mediations and the mediator would come in and kind of give up by noon and say, well, I don't think this case is going to settle. It's lunchtime. It's lunchtime. <laughs> I'm going to call it. Exactly. It happens, yeah. And I'd be like, aren't I the one who's supposed to pretend like I'm packing my briefcase and I'm very indignant <laughs> and I'm leaving, you know? Yeah. And here's the mediator ready for uh, his sandwich at lunch. So um, so I've, I've had some of those. But I keep working at it. Because there are there are things that can be solved, and so I would say I, I recommend breaks more than adjournments. So if things are getting escalated or heated, I recommend that we take a break and we'll go get a Starbucks or do something and come back at it and keep going. Um, I try to find things that are achievable goals. So, okay, do we agree on X? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you try to bring, bring, bring people back to a place where they can agree on some basic things. Do we agree that my hair is brown? You know, okay. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know, yes, everybody agrees. So we have a win. We yeah. have a win. So put that on the whiteboard. So I work pretty hard before I give up. But if there are issues, for instance, if there are, um, if there is abusive behavior, if there are things like that, then those are things to consider yeah. taking a longer break for and coming yeah. back the next right. day. Right. Um, so there is that. Mm -hmm. Do you think your skills as an excellent mediator and conflict resolver translate into your personal life with your kids and, and mm. everything? I think they do more now that I'm, I'm more aware of it. I think there are times where I, you know, I'm, I'm human and I will be impatient with my three teenagers who are, you know, How old are crazy kids? making. 14, 15, and 17. Jeez. So I'm right oh, in the wow. thick of it. Right? <laughs> I'm right in the thick of it. So you started a business, were in law school, and then had some children. Yeah. While you Sprinkle were vice, a little extra vice difficulty president of the, of, the, of the law school. Well, <laughs> did you run for something at the same no, time? What else did no, you do? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I have my limits, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. but again, you know, I, I go back to my, my advice to women lawyers being combined. We can't do everything perfectly and keep it all separated. We yeah. can't do it perfectly, period. I mean, and it's unrealistic to expect it. But combining things is the best thing to do. My year as president um, where I emceed the annual dinner, we had something like six or seven hundred people in this grand ballroom, and I was at the front. And uh, you know, as the president, you are kind of 
running the, yeah. the, the dinner and the show and introducing people and what have you. And the thing, I, I got more compliments and comments and fun remarks from people days and weeks after that dinner because one of the things, I, I'd had my family placed at some other table my husband, my parents, my sister, my niece, and my kids. And one of the things, cause, you know, the president's table is always in the front. So yeah. you're very much like front row and fish center. Bowl, everybody's yeah. fishbowl and the chief justice was there and everybody. And um, my daughter, who at the time, Natalie was probably, mm, I don't know, eight or something. Uh, she got kind of bored. And so she came all the way from the back of the, the room. <laughs> she came and found me and she came over and she's like, you know, I'm like looking at my notes, you know, I'm trying to figure out who's up next. I got to go up and introduce them. And here's Natalie like standing next to me. And she's like, can I sit with you? And I'm like, sure. So she came and she was wearing this like super cute dress and she sat on my lap. And, you know, she was there with me the, in, the rest of the night. And so people apparently noticed that and said, that's, it's really neat to see you, you know, doing all show. these things and then your yeah. daughter is sitting on your lap so cute and sweetly and and you're kind of doing everything and um and i think that was kind of an unintended sort of role modeling that yeah. you can be a leader you can be high functioning you can do all these things and still have your family and 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 make time for them even when you are really kind of, you know, in the middle of it. In the middle of it and having a heart attack about, you know, your speaker going too long and <laughs> all these things that happen when you're running uh, running the show. So, um, so I think I'm a work in progress and there are times when I listen to myself talking at home and I'm like mediator Netta would not do that. She would ask a question. She would say, "Help me understand why you have done this or how can I help you with that instead of you know barking a directive so um but I'm more aware of it now and I'm doing it's better the first at step. it exactly yeah. a mediator uh Netta is also not dealing with teenagers in the mediation room so that's right and high this um, is true high emotions and this is true. I just love Everybody. the the <laughs> visual of your daughter sitting on your lap while you're doing that cause, uh, while I, I wasn't at that fun. one but I've seen Renee also oh, past yeah. president of CWL yes. bring her son to everything Gabe yes. and it's just it's inspiring um I had a baby three months ago and I'm thank you I'm bringing him to the annual dinner oh, and so he'll be six to seven months ish at the time oh, I'm really excited so and I'm cute. very nervous <laughs> like how it's gonna work having a baby with You're, me he's Logan's so good he's um good. but I want to do that I want great. to fold him into it I want him to see me yes. as work mom and home mom and you know he's little but I gotta start somewhere right oh, <laughs> absolutely get him indoctrinated early but that, right. that's wonderful and you know People watch us as the leaders of an organization. They watch what we do, and they watch much more than you think they do. And for us to model um, any type of family role of any kind. I um, feel like it breaks a stigma. Great. Like there's yeah. a stigma of, you know, your kids are separate from your work right. life, and I want to merge those if Embrace I can. It. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, come, it goes with all the... Uh, sort of breaking all the, the barriers and the biases. And I think some, I, I, and I'll say this too, I think some women are harder on other women than men are on women. Oh, and for sure. we, um, we can be our toughest critics and by, again, normalizing things and um, being unabashed about it and unapologetic, you know. I, I think 
it, it didn't even occur to me that it was a big deal for my kid to be sitting on my lap during that that dinner. And uh, some people found it so refreshing and odd, and um, but just making things more normal. And I, I'll tell you that going back to this thing about women being harder on other women. I am very worried about the issue of gender bias when it comes to women in mediation. We are still not selected as the first choice by women litigators. And that is an issue that we need to talk about because I will tell you that uh, as an experienced litigator, I often got calls from other lawyers asking me the question, hey, I have a case in Santa Clara County. The, these, these two mediators are being floated. Their names are being floated. Uh, what do you know about them? And I tell them, and, you know, yeah, I've used this one. I haven't used that one. If it was a woman and a woman lawyer asking about it, the question she would ask me sometimes was, yeah, but is she tough enough? Mm. And I would ask the question, well, do you think you need a tough mediator or a mediator who can resolve the issue. I, I don't necessarily think that mediators need to be tough. So I'd ask that question. Yeah. Well, okay, that's not what I mean. What I meant is, you know, my, my opposing counsel, he's a real blowhard. He's very intimidating. He takes up all the air in the room. And uh, will she just kowtow to him and, and, and just be intimidated by him? No. And again, you know, this is this is not that type of setting. And and I've worked with this mediator, and she's very firm and direct, and, and she will not do that. Uh, she's wonderful. So there were those typical questions. And I'm not just saying it, I was asked that once or twice by one or two lawyers when yeah. it came to a female mediator. Male lawyers, this is kind of actually funny, uh, and uh, women lawyers alike, when they would call and ask me about a male mediator, they didn't ask that question. The question they would more often than not ask me is, is he prepared? Mm. Does he read the papers? <laughs> so, um, so I would get asked that one a lot. But, <laughs> but maybe one stereotype's a little more fair than the other. But anyhow, <laughs> um, but that's just me. Um, see, this is why I'm not a judge, because yeah. I'm biased. <laughs> We're but all biased. That's we the are. Thing. <laughs> we are. And, and even, even all, uh, all judges carry that with them, too. But, um, but I'd, like to, I'd like to change that dialogue yeah because that tells me that when a woman lawyer is sitting in her office and she's faced with the decision about whether to stick her neck out and really push for a female mediator to mediate her case she may privately make the I wouldn't say wrong decision but the perhaps um, missed opportunity yeah. decision because we know women can solve almost anything. How yeah. do you think we solve that problem? Because I've heard about it talked before and I know it's so true. Women are each other's harshest critics. Mm -hmm. What do we do to bridge that gap and to stop that? I think that we are, it's, 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 it's a difficult issue, but I think that um, we are headed toward a new generation that is more open-minded uh, that we're, we're seeing less and less queen bees and we're seeing more and more collaborative people uh, they're still out there I know they are okay they're still out there and they're out there even within the newer generations but 
we're not going to be able to do anything about those people. They're, they're, they are who they are. But what we can do is support each other, walk the walk, talk the talk, um, stick our necks out more, and encourage other people to. And we can, you know, I, I realize that sometimes we become an echo chamber, right? Because we're telling each other all these things that we each know, and we want to do what we can. But taking those risks and having them work out mm-hmm. is what really works, is to say, I'm going to use that mediator they're fairly unknown or it's a woman heaven forbid and man she really did a fantastic job and getting them the opportunities and and it's on us i mean it's not like we have some large broad brush solution but each of us has to do it i do it every day i i I try to introduce people to each other i try to mentor people um, I try to get jobs for other people. I, I, I do all of that. I take people to networking events with me. Um, we each have a responsibility. But until we actually are willing to say, I'm going to do something that's outside my comfort zone and I'm going to recommend a mediator that is not the retired male judge in his 70s, it's never going to change. Yeah. And the issue is the ADR is so far behind the game because it's hard to it's a it's a it's an abstract foe in the sense that you can hold a law firm accountable for having crappy gender numbers, right? And salary numbers. You can hold in-house corporations uh, accountable. You can hold the judiciary accountable and look at the number of judicial officers on the bench. And because of that, we've made some strides. There is nothing and nobody that you can actually hold accountable as an institution when it comes to ADR because it's just a lawyer in their office deciding, I'm not even going to per- bring up that person's name to my opposing counsel. I'm not yeah. going to even suggest them as a mediator. It's, it's, a, it's a hard problem to chase because you can't go after one easy target, if you will, to try to break that. So it's just gotta be, you know, you you gotta be thinking more outside the box and we gotta keep talking about it. That's all I see. So one thing to kind of change topics slightly, we like to talk to all our guests about and ask before we finish up is do you have an, a mantra that you live your life by? Um, or sometimes we've had people that have a series of mantras depending on how they feel or what season mm-hmm. of their life they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what gets you through the day and keeps you going, you tell yourself? The, the, the biggest mantra for me is trust my gut, trust my gut, trust my gut. It's, it's really never let me down. So hard though. Yeah. I know. It's not an easy task. It's not. It's not. It gets easier. Does it? It gets easier as you get older. Okay. And it gets easier when you start to realize that every, almost every time that you haven't trusted your gut, it's it's created a problem for you. Mm. Um, Trust your gut. Your instincts are pretty good, and women's instincts are very good. Deep side. <laughs> yeah. You have a problem t- trusting your gut, Summer. <laughs> My gut, I think I have a, what's that disease you've got? The, the um, an ulcer. 
So oh, I can't. No, no. I can't trust my let's, gut. Let's fix your gut. Yeah. Let's fix that ulcer. One thing I, I ha- did really want to ask you um, is something. That, this is like something I should probably ask my therapist, but I want to ask you instead. I can service that for you today. I know you can. Yes. That's why I brought it. My hourly rate's higher than your therapist. I, so I know it is. Worth it. That's why I was hoping I could slip this into the podcast. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you a freebie. So, so one of the things that. I've been having trouble with um, as a, a younger lawyer that maybe I thought that you might have some some advice to me on is how do you how do you measure your success mm-hmm. um, and more than that how do you actually allow yourself to experience your successes mm-hmm. I, I find that when I do have a success I don't let myself live it mm-hmm. I'm just sort of like oh great and then I keep moving mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that that happens with a lot of a lot of people, especially the CWL board. I know that, you know, there's a lot of people who have the same issue, and I, I just don't know how to slow down and take a moment and go, mm-hmm. good job, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you have the answer to that because you have the answer to so many other things. Well, I guess I would start off by asking you the question about whether you spend as little time on things that you feel have been um, that haven't gone well for you. No, I mean, we, we sit and we think about that mm-hmm. for hours and hours yeah. and hours and days and days and days. There's that's your, to learn your lesson, right? That's your that's learning your lesson. I guess as for me, as I've gotten older, I've started to be more aware that I do that because we all do it. So I, at one point I said to myself, why is it that I think it's okay for me to spend more time, exponentially more time, wallowing, obsessing on something that I perceive I've done wrong or has gone wrong for me, and I don't take care of myself enough to spend equal, if not more, time on the successes and the victories. Mm-hmm. Why is that? And just being able to identify that I do that and that I don't want to do that helped me to say, all right, I have to actually impose some kind of restriction on my um, focus on the negative when something bad happens and just mindfully say, all right, that happened. You know what? Who cares? Move on, move on. And then as soon as something great happens, I had to, again, almost force myself to say, all right, I am going to be thankful for this. And it comes from a place of being more just gratitude yeah. and um, and also believing that we deserve it you know I mean life is precious and it's short and um, I have some dear friends who are very terminally ill right now and that puts things into perspective too and um, I would just invite you to think about the fact that you work so damn hard for the things that are good and the things that come to you and I think you just spend mindful time saying, that was really great. This is really great. I need to spend some time just focusing on that. And even doing things like thinking about it and going, oh, how did I feel when, that, when I just heard about that? And I wonder what I did that, you know, you just kind of processing it a little yeah. bit more and just stopping. And it, it's a habit. Wallowing on the negative stuff, pushing aside the good stuff, it's a habit. And, you know, we, we can change that a great way to think about it. It really mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. For some reason, all of our default habits seem to be going over everything in our heads and really need to 
spin that to the positive Sticking with and it. go over it in your head what was good well <laughs> make to, more good things to quote a, a very famous philosopher um please be mick jagger i'm sorry no it, it, was gonna be, it was gonna be something much more uh, uh profound uh you you all might remember a little movie called Pretty Woman. Oh yeah, oh, yes. And that scene with Julia Roberts where she says, no. "The harder things are when people say the, the bad things about you, they're easier to believe." Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just the way it is, right? And yeah. uh, now I've dated myself to no, the 1990 movie. Pretty Woman is the jam. Uh, I saw that in the movie theater, and sh I know she didn't, but I know I did. So <laughs> and it's on Broadway now. Oh, oh, I did really? not know that. It or not, yes, yes. So you heard it here first. Well, I so. that is a philosopher. So, but it's true though. So we have to. We, we've just we, we're hardwired that way, I think, and um, we almost have to override that. Yeah, and be more mindful about it. Age. That's yeah. great advice. It's slow down a little bit <laughs> slow and down. be mindful. Slow down. We deserve it. It's almost like part of our self care or something. You know, it's the mental health this, piece this of new, it. This the new emotional. term, self-care, that we have to start working on. Yeah. I know. Add it to the list. <laughs> Add it to the list. But you know what? Some of it is, it's, it doesn't require making a two-hour spa appointment or, no. you know, putting cucumbers on your face and, <laughs> you know, putting on the, the fuzzy slippers or something. It's just. You can do it in five minutes in your car before the day yeah. starts. You know, one of the things I do <clears throat> is when I get in my car, the first thing I do is I take three deep breaths. It just sort of centers me. <clears throat> and um, it's little things like that. There's, it doesn't take extra time to do stuff like that. You gotta slow down. Slow down, ladies. I am uh, very, very go, go, go <laughs> person. And in the last nine weeks, I have been forced to slow down. That's right. By, by force. And uh, <laughs> it's really made a big difference. I've started doing kind of mindfulness. Because being, being off my feet with a newborn <laughs> can be frustrating. And I found myself doing that. Just three deep breaths can really change what, what's going to happen the rest of the day. Just taking yourself out of it for a second. Yeah. And you're going to do great. And you're able to do all of the things that you're doing, even with with your injury you and the baby and we are quite amazing creatures yes we can do a lot resilient aren't we yes, yes. for sure well it has been a pleasure talking to you thank you, thank you so much for yeah, joining this us been this was very wonderful insightful. thank and, you um, you're always allowed back and um, we would love to I have you back so. yes this wasn't the audition this was the real thing <laughs> actually we didn't even press play <laughs> no recording. none of this is recording <laughs> this was just for our own benefit we'll let you know <laughs> yeah keep, well, keep me posted you call my people yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll give you a call maybe next week if okay, you, if you okay. like what you said I, I'm, a, I'm available you know perfect <laughs> so, really not too thank available. you so much it was very very nice to meet you thank and you. I look forward to seeing you at the CWL dinner if not before then thank you both You'll I really appreciate this Margaret Brent Award Oh. oh, yes. Well, then, yes. there you go. I'll be there. Thank you both. This was really fun. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. All right.